1: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 14 and 15 of 365 Days. So where we left off, Laura realized that the contraceptive bar thingy in her arm wasn't actually a contraceptive. It's a transmitter tracking device and her and Massimo had been raw-dogging it all this time. So she thinks she's pregnant. So she drives across town to get a pregnancy test, even though there's a grocery store downstairs. And now she's in the toilet, she's peed on the stick and she's waiting to find out the result. So she gets out of the bathroom and there's the man in black waiting for her on the bed. And so he sees her come into the room, so he jumps up and she stops him by reaching out with a hand clutching the test. So she's just waving her pee stick into his face and showing him that it says it's negative. So she's not pregnant. So we don't know why she's been vomiting all the time. Like, I'm gonna assume it's the alcohol intake. I feel like that's probably what it is. But she's not pregnant. I was thinking there for a second, she might be pregnant, but nope. And then she just lets go of the stick and lets it falls to the floor. So the pee stick's just on the bedroom floor. She goes to the kitchen. What does she do? She gets a bottle of wine and she pours herself a glass and she downs it. Meanwhile, it's morning. They just had breakfast. It's gotta be what, like 10.30 in the morning? And you'd think she'd be furious with Massimo for doing this to her. You'd think she'd be absolutely livid, but she says, don't do this ever again. If we decide to become parents, it has to be either our mutual decision or an accident. Do you understand? If we decide to become parents, it has to to be an accident. (laughs) Well, it's not really a decision then if it's an accident. And he's like, oh, sorry, baby. That would have been a beautiful child. Well, as if that's the line you'd go with, just say, sorry, explain yourself. Don't be like, yeah, it would have been a cute kid. No, it wouldn't have. But she notices that he's still bleeding. So she's like, we've got to go to a doctor. Let's stop having this stupid fight. Even though it's not a stupid fight, it's a very legitimate fight. But he pushes himself against her, leaving red stains on her clothes. Gross. And he's like, so we're gonna have a son, huh? Because she had said, my son will never be part of the mob. And now she's like, you know what? I was saying that theoretically, we're not actually going to have a son. And and, well, yeah, Laura, no one assumes you're going to have a son. We know you're not pregnant. And also you can't choose the gender of your child. So of course it was theoretical. So she dresses his wounds and then she has to get changed because, you know, he just got all of his blood all over her. And Massimo's also getting changed. And he's packed one of the four closets in the bedroom with all of his stuff. So apparently he has unpacked all his clothes. He's moving in. I guess he lives in Poland now. Is he still on the run? Unclear. And then he gets out the watch that he gave her a few chapters ago and he's like, you forgot this. And she's like, oh, is that a transmitter too? She asked with a chuckle. So she's thinking it's hilarious now that she's got a transmitter. And he's like, it's just a watch. One transmitter is enough. <laughs> Still not a real apology, so she says, "Let's go before your stigmata opens up again." And I do believe a stigmata's on the hands and the feet, not on the chest. But all right, I get what you're going for there, Laura. And she grabs her BMW keys, and he's like, "No, nah, no, nah, you drank, so you shouldn't drive." And she's like, "All right, well, let me call a cab." And he's like, mm, "I can drive," but she had her phone out and was dialing a number to call a cab and he plucks the phone out of her hand and presses the speaker button so where i'm from when you press the speaker button that that puts it on loudspeaker but i guess that cancelled the call because we never hear it again she says i pulled out my phone dialing a number but the man in black plucked it out of my hand pressing the speaker button and then, and then that's all that's all we have there's no there's no conversation so i guess i don't know what button he pressed but he pressed a button but apparently he opens a drawer, takes out another envelope and there's another car key. And they go downstairs into the underground and he presses a button on the remote he's holding. So with lots of button pressing with Massimo this chapter. And he presses the button, lights go up in one of the parking spaces and there's a black Ferrari. Do they just own the whole building? Why is that car park not next to the car park where she parked the BMW in? What kind of apartment complex Puts your car spaces separate. And she's like, oh, are any of these other cars yours? And he says, whichever you want, baby girl. So so is that a yes? Do, does he own all of the cars in the basement? So they get in. She's like, oh, it looks like a spaceship. So many buttons. And then he presses the ignition button. I'm telling you, the word button has been used like eight times this chapter. And it's been two pages. So they drive out. She starts navigating him to a wealthy private hospital in the Willanao district. And she says she knew a few doctors there because she'd met them on one of the medical conferences she'd organized. And they'd clicked because they were party people and they liked to drink and they appreciated her discretion. Ugh, well, what was her job? I swear it was in hotels. But now she's holding conferences for medical people, I guess at the hotel, but she's partying with them. And she says they appreciated her discretion. So I don't know what she was setting up for him. Maybe drugs, maybe prostitutes, who knows. But apparently she's besties with this surgeon. So she calls up this surgeon and says she needs a favor. And the surgeon is like, all right, come on in. So the surgeon is called Dr. Ohm. Um, and he's like, oh, hey, Laura, how are you? Uh, uh, this just seems like it came out of nowhere that she's best friends with a surgeon. Uh, uh, It's like Olga all over again. We know nothing about this Laura person and her contacts. And so she says to the doctor, oh, this is my, and he says, fiance, Massimo Torricelli, thank you for having us. And I'm thinking, fiance, since when? When did they get engaged? I must've missed that. I don't think they had gotten engaged. I'm I'm really perplexed. But she's too busy focusing on the fact that he said Torricelli. She's like, oh, Torricelli, I repeated silently. During those long weeks, I hadn't learned Massimo's last name. So she she didn't even know his last name. But like that news report where Massimo was announced dead, did they not mention his last name at all? How did she not know his last name? She had access to a laptop. You're telling me she didn't Google him? She never once decided to, to give her kidnapper a bit of a Google? Come on, Laura. And then Massimo takes off his shirt and he says, oh, it was a hunting accident, a bit too much Chianti. So he's acting like that's the reason for his wounds. And the doctor says, believe me, I get it. Once, after a party, we decided to catch a train, literally. And then she says, recounting the story, the doctor applied an anesthetic and stitched the wounds back up. And that's all, but... But but what but what does he mean he decided to catch a train? Literally. Like, like as in run after a train? What's that got to do with a hunting accident? Is he implying that that they got hurt by trying to catch a train? But I'm sure if they tried to catch a train and got hit by a train, it'd be a lot worse than a few little scrapes and cuts and bruises. <laughs> I get it. We once decided to catch a train, literally. What, what, what do you mean? And who's we, the people at the conference that Laura helped organise? I mean, we we are so in the dark here. And he's apparently recounting the story, but we don't get to hear it. So we move on, they leave the hospital and Massimo's like, let's get lunch. And he heads to a Polish restaurant that he knows. Even though he's never been to Poland, he knows a great Polish restaurant. And they go into the restaurant. Massimo says something to the waiter And then an older man with a clean-shaven head appears and he's wearing a tailored suit. And the guy says, Massimo, my friend. So Massimo's got besties in Poland that we've never heard of as well. This is his own version of Olga. And then he says, Carlo, please meet my fiance, Laura. Fiance, since when? She thought you were dead. And before that, she thought you'd broken up with her. And before that, You were at a film festival that was also a masquerade ball. I don't know when you got engaged. And Laura says, I was a bit surprised that Massimo was friends with a restaurant owner in Warsaw, despite not having been here before. Yeah, I'm surprised too, but I'm also more surprised by the fact that he's referring to you as his fiance, and you don't seem to be that fussed about that. So she's like, how did you guys meet? And they're like, oh, we do business together. Carlo's people drove you from the airport and protected you while I was gone. So, hello, they're they're part of the mob. So then she says they have several dishes and a couple of bottles of wine. A couple of bottles. This chick is a booze hound. So the guys are talking business. She's figuring out that Carlo's half Polish, half Russian, and he invests in restaurants, but also owns a big logistics company dealing with international shipping. Yeah, they're part of the mob. We get it. Carlo goes to take a phone call and Massimo says, I know you're bored, but this will be your life now. Uh, But we're just gonna finish up here and then we'll return home and I'll fuck you on each floor of the apartment. Their apartment has floors? Man, that's a ritzy little apartment. But she's excited about that. She says, I loved rough sex and the threat of it was something I treated more like a promise worth waiting for. Oh boy but she wants to play coy. So she's like, I'll consider it. And he says, I wasn't asking for your permission, Laura. I was informing you of what I'll do. So this is the guy that said he wouldn't touch her for 365 days until he had her full consent. Neck minute. Oh, I wasn't asking for your permission. So I guess he's just dropping the whole consent requirement and anyone else would be turned off by his attitude. But she says, his expression told me he wasn't joking, but that was just one of the things I loved so much about him. So there's some sexual tension, some intense eye contact. And then Carlo comes back with his wife, Monica, and they do the introductions. And Massimo says, Monica, please meet my fiance, Laura. So they're engaged. They're engaged. And so Laura's looking at Monica and she says, despite the difference in age, I knew Monica and I would get along. She was a tall brunette with a delicate face. It was hard to tell how old she was. Well, then how do you know there's a, Difference in age, then. Oh, despite the difference in age, dot, dot, dot. It was hard to tell how old she was. Which is it? I'm used to the contradictions in this book, but when it's in the same paragraph, it just makes me go, ah. But they compliment each other on their shoes. So, of course, they're gonna be besties. So her and Monica go to the bar and they have a chat about shoes. And now she decides to give us a description... (laughs) of the restaurant we've been in for three pages. She says it's all white. Everything is white, high white ceilings, white columns, white tablecloths, white walls, white bar, but a big black grand piano in the middle of the room played by an old elegant man. And everything being white except for the piano created a cohesive whole. Okay, great. Uh, Thank you for describing that after we've been in this room for so long. So Monica orders a Long Island iced tea and she's like, oh, you want one too? And Laura says, oh no, Long Island would be a bit too much. I had a rough night, a glass of Prosecco for me. Bitch, you've been drinking wine all day. Oh, a Long Island's just too far for you. Just a couple of extra shots of liqueur. But no, you just had another bottle of wine. You had a wine after breakfast. You're having a glass of Prosecco now. This is why she's vomiting all the time. And then, yep, they talk about shoes for a good long while. And then eventually Monica's like, oh, so you do exist. So she knows about Massimo's portraits of Laura or Laura's image because of, the, because of the vision that he had in his coma. Like sometimes I'm reading this book, I forget it all started because of a vision in a coma. But it did, it did. And so Monica's like, when did he find you? And where, tell me, we're dying of curiosity here. And she says, some time passed before I told her our story, omitting some details. Yeah, I would think you would have to omit a lot of details. What exactly could you tell her? It's like, oh, I was on holidays with Martin and his two friends. and, And it was my birthday and I got kidnapped. And then... Massimo took me shopping and then we went to a masquerade ball, which is also a film festival. Then he died. And then I had a heart condition episode. I think I had a surgery, but I'm not too sure because the details are a bit scant. And so then I moved to Poland because I thought he was dead, but then he rocked up last night and he's not dead. But also there's a transmitter in my arm and, and I'm not pregnant, even though I've been raw dogging it because I thought I had a contraceptive bar in my arm, which was also put in against my will. Like, yeah, what could you actually tell her? What could you tell her? But Monica's like, you've got a difficult task ahead of you, Laura. I know what it's like to be living with a man whose career is like this. She says, don't ask anything. If he wants you to know, he'll tell you. And if he doesn't want you to know, it means it doesn't concern you. And she says, never question his decisions when it comes to security. Remember everything he does, he does to protect you. Once I didn't obey and I was kidnapped. And this is meant to be like a light bulb moment for Laura being like, oh no, I have to let Massimo look after me. I could get kidnapped. It's so risky dating a mobster. And I was like, bitch, you were already kidnapped. He's the one that kidnapped you. And Monica's like, Massimo will be really protective of you. He has been looking for you for years and he believes those visions of his. So Monica really got the lowdown on Massimo and his visions. Like she knows a lot for someone who only just existed this chapter. She says, he'll treat you as his most precious possession. Okay, she's not his possession. So she doesn't care about his possessiveness, but she's just lost in thought thinking about what Monica has been saying. And then Massimo's like, all right guys, we gotta go. They say their goodbyes. And when leaving, Monica says to her, remember what I told you. And she says, her deathly serious tone terrified me. Would someone really want to kidnap me? Why? but someone had kidnapped her. It could happen to me too. It already happened. It already happened to you, chapter one. So they go back to the car and he's like, get in. And she's like, oh, you can't drive, you drank. And he says, <laughs> you drank. I had one glass of wine, now buckle up. So she had two bottles of wine practically all on her own? Maybe Carlo also had some wine, but she's, she's really knocked back a fair bit today. That, that would be a lot of standard drinks. So they drive home. They're looking forward to the rough sex, but a security guard says, oh, miss, there are packages for you in the reception on the ground floor. And she's confused. And Massimo's like, hey, not from me. So they take the elevator to the main hall and the entire space was filled with a sea of white tulips. And then she goes to the reception and says, um, I'm here for a package. And he's like, yeah, bitch, all these flowers are for you. (laughs) I don't know if she just thought those flowers just happened to be there, but like, yeah, that's the package, hello. And she says there were hundreds of tulips and she snatched up one of the bouquets and there's a little card and it says, does he know what your favorite flowers are? And then another card says, does he know how you like your tea? Another card says, does he know your passions? And yes, he does know how she likes her tea, remember, because they analysed the contents of the kitchen sink in her apartment from the day that they flew to Sicily. So yeah, he does know how she likes her tea. So mind your own business, Martin.
2: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.
1: And Laura scrunches up all the little cards and she says to the receptionist, send these away, throw them away or give them to your girlfriend, whatever you want, get rid of them. And they go upstairs and there's also a card attached to the front door with sticky tape. So this building block that has the security and the reception, clearly not not good at not letting people just up into the elevator willy nilly. So they go inside, master most furious, his jaw is working rhythmically, and we know what that means. Well, actually, I don't really know what it means, but he does it a lot. And he's like, he's disrespecting me. And she's like, bah, they're only flowers. And he's like, oh yeah, well, what's in the envelope? And she's like, I don't care. And she throws it into the fireplace. And she's like, oh, geez, Massimo. He has a right to to fight for his woman if he wants to. And I have a right to make that decision. But I'm staying with you. Even if he gets a whole orchestra to play me a serenade and he sings. (coughs) Even if he gets a whole orchestra to play me a serenade and he sings. You know, you could have just said, even if he serenades me. Why all the words? He gets an orchestra to play a serenade and he sings. (sighs) She says, I won't change my mind. He's dead to me, just like the man you shot in the driveway. (laughs) I love that that's her only reference point for death. He's dead to me, just like that guy you shot in the driveway that one time. So Massimo storms off to the bedroom. She heard him get something from the closet. And then he came back, passing her, loading a gun. And he says, I'll kill him as he pulled a phone from his pocket. Okay, like who cares if he's pulling a phone from his pocket? He's got a gun. He's got a gun in his hand and she's more concerned about him pulling out his iPhone. I don't get that. And then she says, terrified by the intensity of his actions, I just stood in place gaping. I had no idea what to do to stop him. And that's the end of the chapter. Ooh, cliffhanger. Luckily we're going straight to the next one because it's a shorty. So chapter 15, she says, as calmly as I could, I picked the phone from his hand and put it down on a cabinet next to the door. I, I, again with the phone, like who cares? What's his phone got to do anything compared to the gun in his hand? And then she says, "I took the key from the lock and put it down my panties." Now, what, what, what key is she talking about? I took the key from the lock. Does she mean the fr- from the front door, or or is it the car key? No, because she took it from the lock, so it must be from the front door. So she, why, why the key was still in the front door? I don't know. But this act has enraged Massimo. So he grabs her by the throat and slams her into the wall. And his eyes are ablaze with desire and hate in equal measure. And he's like, give me the key, Laura. And she's like, take it if you want it. Why does he need the key? Just leave. You're not locked inside. The the, the key locks people who are outside from getting in. If you want to leave, Massimo, just leave. I don't understand the hullabaloo here but then he's sliding his hand into her underwear with too much force and he's still gripping her neck with the other hand. So I don't know where the gun is. I don't know where the gun went, but I know where the key is for some reason. And I know where the phone is, but I don't know where the gun is. But as he's rummaging around in her panties for the key that he does not need to leave the apartment, I guess he starts getting turned on because she says I could see hatred giving way to desire in his eyes. And she's like, I think the key's in there deeper. And he's like, well, if you wanna play it that way, baby girl, I have to tell you, I'm not gonna be gentle. So then he's, you know, rubbing her little private parts. And he says, all my anger will focus on you. And I'm afraid you might not like the way I treat you. So just let me out of here. Mate, you don't need the key to leave. But she's just like, fuck me, Don Massimo, please. (laughs) What a distraction. And he's like, I'll treat you like a whore. And even if you change your mind, I won't stop. So again, Massimo, the consent champion, just fall out here saying like, oh, even if you don't want this, it's gonna happen. Oh boy. But she says it turned her on. His words, the fear and the knowledge that a man's life depended on my behavior (laughs) all turned her on. And she's like, so do it. And then he's pushing her and dragging her across the living room, throwing her onto the couch. He pressed a button on a remote because of course he does. He loves pressing buttons. And that took all the blinds down because again, it's it's midday. They just had lunch. It's still bright outside. So yeah, they're gonna have to shut the blinds to get some mood lighting in their apartment. So then he's making her go down on him and he's like, you like to be punished instead of your lover boy. All right. Da 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 choking her. Da 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 something about it touching the back of her throat. Uh, she's clutching his small buttocks, something about the penis touching the skin of her neck. Da 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 She's grabbing his heavy testicles, fondling them. da 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 da. He's grabbing her by the hair, yada yada yada, and then he pulls her off. And he's like, Oh, you didn't think I'd let you finish that easily, did you? Lie down and don't move. And then he's ripping off her pants, etc., etc. And he says, We'll see just how much you like pain. And she says, This was beginning to sound scary. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's way too intense. And then he's spanking her uh, quite a lot. Quite a lot, and pressing her face into the pillow, stifling her screams, he hit me again and again, and then gently and slowly he slid his middle finger in her something something, and either he's purring with satisfaction or she is, and he says, "I can see you like what I'm doing," but then she's trying to stand up, she's ashamed of of what's going on, and his elbow is pushing her down on her back, and she says, "I was embarrassed, cringing." I wanted this to stop. And she says, Massimo, let go right now, you hear me? And then he doesn't react and she says, Don Massimo, for fuck's sake. So, okay, this, uh, this is rape. This is capital R, rape. And then he sticks his finger into her butthole and she says, his fingers rushed, picking up the pace and I found myself in heaven. I didn't resist anymore. It felt too good. She said she likes rough sex, and I guess I guess she really does. She really likes it. And then he wants to start doing butt stuff with her, so he, st- he sticks it in, and he says, relax, honey, I don't want to hurt you. And she narrates, despite all the violence of what he had done, his voice was tender, and he tried being as gentle as he could. I trusted him, knowing he wanted to please me and not hurt me. What? Where are you getting this from, Laura? Because I'm reading a different sex story than what you're experiencing right now, apparently. Gentle and tender. What's gentle and tender about any of this? So they have full on butt sex and she says, the sounds of his hips hitting my buttocks sounded like applause. Now That's the best line of this book so far. The sound of his hips hitting my butt sounded like applause. (laughs) That's hilarious. And then, yeah, he explodes inside her. Her legs are shaken. She goes to have a shower. And when she comes back, Massimo was nowhere to be seen. And she's terrified. So she runs to the door and grabs the handle. It was closed. What What door? What handle? And then she switches the light on and she sees that the key is lying on the floor next to her thong. And she's like, ah! And I was like, he could have always left. I don't, I, I don't know what this magical key is that locks people into a room from the inside. But then Don Massimo wrapped in a towel was slowly descending the stairs. And he's like, oh, I didn't want to interrupt. So I used the bathroom upstairs. Gosh, what a nice ritzy big apartment this must be. And then he throws the towel off, letting it fall onto the steps. And the view made her legs wobbly all over again because you know she just loves his slim legs ending in that beautiful toned butt. (laughs) She's insatiable. And she says the wounds on his chest made him look even more attractive. And she's like, I need more, and he says, ha <laughs> ha Well to tell you the truth, we forgot to buy condoms, so no can do. Either I fuck you and that sweet ass of yours again, or forget it. Because you told me it's too early to have a kid. What an what an odd way to bring up that conversation again about having children or not. What what an odd conversation starter. So now they're just gonna have like a nice night in watching TV. And he says, yeah, we've got quite a day ahead of us tomorrow. And she's like, what's, what's tomorrow? And he's like, oh, I've got to do some things with Carlo. And I want you to accompany us. I mean, unless you want to stay, but then my guys would have to keep an eye on you. And this reminded her of what Monica had said. And she's like, oh, well, people stay to protect me. And he's like, yeah, I bought an apartment on the other side of the street. So they're as close as they can be without bothering you. Don Massimo a very wealthy man. He's buying a lot of apartments, a lot of cars. I don't know what what the mob does, but I mean, I'm interested. It it really does sound quite lucrative. Like, yes, you might get killed, but hey, I mean, there's risks to everything, right? It sounds like he's really rich. And she says, (laughs) aren't you overdoing it, Don Massimo? And he says, "Don Massimo, why not Don Torricelli? If you want to keep it official, how's your little hole feeling? By the way, just to be clear, Laura, I still want to kill him, and I'll do it if he disrespects me again. And I'm thinking, okay, mate, can you can you give her a second to respond to any of that? You asked her how her hole was feeling, but then you just went straight on to a different topic and never let her answer how her hole is feeling. What a horrible expression! How's your little hole feeling, by the way? Ugh." That's the most unromantic thing I've ever heard. And she's like, is it that easy for you to kill a man? And well, yeah, Laura, you saw him kill a guy in the driveway. And she's like, look, Massimo, let me talk to him. I love you. It's just, and then she stops suddenly because she realizes that she's said the L word. And she's told us that she loves him a few times, but I guess she's not told him. And then he's like, say it again. And she says, I, I love you, Massimo. I first felt it when you left me in Lido. Like when when you abandoned me in Venice. And she says, and then I grew absolutely certain when I learned you'd been killed. Well, he wasn't killed. So what do you mean you learned that he'd been killed? Ugh. And she says, I'd been pushing it away because you kidnapped me. But when you allowed me to go, the only thing I could think of was how to stay with you. Oh, how beautiful. And then Massimo stood up without a word and left the room vanishing in the closet. And she's like, oh, great. Now he's gonna pack his things and leave me. <laughs> But then he arrives and he's wearing joggers and held something in his hand. Very unclear on why why he put on joggers. Really not too sure about that because I, I guess he's still naked, but with joggers on. quite Quite the look. But then he says, it wasn't supposed to go like this. And then he kneels in front of her and he says, Laura, I'd like you to marry me. And he takes out a little black box. And she says, inside was the largest diamond I've ever seen in my life. She's shocked. Her heart's thumping. And then a wave of nausea is overcoming her. And Massimo realized what's happening. It's another heart episode. So he runs, gets a pill, puts it under her tongue and says, I won't let you die before you accept. And then he puts the ring on her finger. And then she's suddenly better. The pill must have worked really quick. And she's like, oh, but, um it's too soon. We don't really know each other. And we started out on the wrong foot. So he proposed. So why was he calling her his fiance in the previous chapter? Were these chapters swapped around? I mean, I don't think the book was edited, but if it was edited, perhaps some stuff moved around and she forgot to update the fact that they weren't fiance's last chapter. And now that they're fiance's, I'm really quite confused as to as to why they became fiancés before the proposal. And he's declaring his love for her and she's believing his every word. She's like, I knew it to be true. And so she says, yes, I'll marry you, Massimo. And then she's like, listen, Massimo, Martin and his life mean nothing to me now. Don't make any unnecessary mistakes on my account. You have me, I'm yours and only yours. A relationship should be about trust, blah, blah, blah. So let me go and talk to him. And Massimo's like, even now, even now this goddamn piece of shit is between us. I'll only allow you to see him to get rid of that maggot once and for all. If you fail, we'll do it my way. And she's like, oh, I know he's being serious. I had exactly one chance to save the life of my ex-boyfriend, or Massimo would take it. And she says, thank you, darling. Now come, as my fiance, you have a lot more duties. And she says, we didn't make love that night, but it wasn't necessary. Closeness and love were all we needed. We didn't make love that night. You just fucked. She's acting like, oh, we went a day without sex. It just happened at like 4 p.m. on a Sunday. But oh, we didn't make love that night. Have you ever made love? Because I think it's just been rough sex up until this point. But now they're fiancés, even though they were calling each other fiancés before they became fiancés. I'm so confused, Blanca. Like, did she storyboard this at all? Anyway, who knows? Uh, That was was two chapters. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Let me know what you think. And also, we do still have like, I don't know, six chapters left or something, but maybe start thinking about what you'd like to hear for the next book to cover on the Patreon. Like, if you have any ideas, let me know. Do you want more Fifty Shades? Do you want to go to the sequel of 365 Days? Do you want something completely different? I'm open to suggestions, so hit me up. And I'll see you next week for more of Stupid Laura and Horrible Massimo and Terrible, Terrible Blanca. Bye! Send your burning thoughts, frustrations and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to BreakingDownPod at gmail.com or on Twitter at PodBreakingDown and Instagram at BreakingDownBadBooks.